Turn with me tonight to uh, the book of Titus. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, even though I've thought about it. I'm going to read in Titus 1, and um, again, these New Testament letters, they're so personal. So pastoral. Titus was a, a pastor whom Paul had left at Crete, the little island off uh, the land of Greece. And there was a church there, and there was a few problems, and Paul was writing to him to deal with those problems. There's so much in this. But anyway, let's, let's just read the first part of uh, chapter 1. Chapter 1, the book of Titus. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. I will end the reading there at verse 5. I would love to read the rest of the chapter, but I not take the time tonight. I, I recommend it to you. Now, my text tonight is taken from Titus chapter 1, verse 2. And my theme this evening is in hope of eternal life. So I've given you the text Titus 1 and 2, and here's the theme, in hope of eternal life. Now, this text of scripture came to my mind as we conducted the five-day children's club down in the Killingur Green last week. We were thinking of the fact uh, about how big and good and strong God is. In fact, we were singing that little chorus, uh, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And I was thinking of the things that God cannot do. And my mind was brought to these words, uh, God that cannot lie. And I was thinking, well, where's that found in the Bible? And I almost couldn't wait to get home to look it up in Bible Gateway. Uh, and once I found the reference, my attention immediately was drawn to the words, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And as I pondered these words then in the gospel, a number of truths started coming to my mind and I wrote them down and I've been thinking about them ever since. And, and I want us to look at this text tonight uh, under five simple little headings. I want you to think first of all of the fact of eternal life. In our text it says in hope of eternal life. 
So here's the fact of the believer's hope. The word hope is a very important word in the Bible. It's used in the scriptures 133 times. The first reference is in Ruth chapter 1 verse 12. And the last reference is in 1 John chapter 3 verse 3. Everyone that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Now when we speak of hope, what do we mean? How do we understand the word? What are we communicating to each other? So if I say to you, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, I have no guarantee that it will or it won't. I hope I get that job application. Well, it's not certain. It's not a fixed reality. I hope to go on holiday soon. But again, circumstances and situations can change. I could maybe even say, well, I hope I'll do this or that wee job about the house tomorrow. But you know as well as I do, there's many jobs we never get round to doing. You see, people, when they use the word hope, use it in the thought of a mere wishful thinking. They use the word hope without certainty, without an absolute guarantee, without the knowledge of assurity that it's going to come to pass. Now, when the Holy Ghost uses the word hope, in both Testaments, the Old and the New Testament, it's always with the meaning and the understanding that hope is something that's absolute. Hope is something that's sure and certain. Hope is something that is fully guaranteed. You can be assured that this will come to pass. One of those 133 references is found in Psalm 42, verse 5. And the psalmist asked this question, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Can a Christian be depressed like that? Absolutely. Life circumstances and situations can get you bogged down. He was having a little soliloquy with his soul. And what did he say to his soul was the answer for his spirit of depression? Hope thou in God. And what did he mean? That he could look to the future with a confident expectation of God's help and power and victory. I want you to think tonight of a believer, even though he's suffering the pressures and problems of life, waiting in God to come and fulfill his covenant promise in supplying help and power and victory. A confident waiting on the Lord to bring to pass all that he has promised. The psalmist again said in Psalm 130 verse 7 and 8, Let Israel hope in the Lord. I want you to think of the individual believer. And he's taken up with God's confident, faithful promise. And he's thinking of God's presence and God's provision and God's pardon and God's power. And he has got the certain fulfillment of all that God has promised that God is going to do. And in the New Testament, with the full revelation of the coming of the person and work of Jesus Christ... Again, the meaning is the same. A full, confident expectation of everything God has promised. Turn over there to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. 
Look at these words. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now think of that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. A full, confident expectation of everything that God has promised in Christ is yours. This hope then is sure and certain. This hope rests on the very character of God. It says in our text, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You see, it's sure and certain. It's maybe not yet fully realized. We maybe don't understand fully all that that means, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But it's still sure and certain. You see, let me illustrate this. Many people think of these words, in hope of eternal life. I'm talking about fine believers, maybe suffering the problems and pressures of life, a bit depressed and down. And You see, at times even believers can completely misunderstand all that God has promised. So, so here's the believer, and they're saved, they're in Christ. And this is what they say. This is what they think. This is how they feel. I'm hoping I'm going to gain eternal life when I die. I hope I'm going to get into heaven. I hope on judgment day I'm accepted for eternal life. Some might even foolishly think, well, I hope St. Peter will let me in. Where did this idea of St. Peter at the gate of heaven letting individual saints in ever arrive from? I believe it's Roman Catholicism idolatry. But I want you to understand tonight the words in hope of eternal life. It is not I hope that I'm going to gain eternal life. If you're in Christ, eternal life's already yours in Christ. If you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have eternal life now. Eternal life's a, a present possession, a present reality. We were singing at the little five-day club. Sister Heather can bear this out. He, uh, he that believeth hath everlasting life. Remember what we read in John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Chapter 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. You see, it's not the believer hoping to gain eternal life at the end. It's having eternal life now as a present reality, as a present possession. It's yours if you have faith in Christ as Lord and Savior. If you know and love Christ, isn't this what the, the Savior himself prayed in his high priestly prayer whenever he left the upper room? And remember, we're told in the Bible that they sang in him and went out into the night and they crossed the brook. 
He says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So if you've repented of your sin tonight, you've been regenerated by the Spirit of God, you're washed in the blood of Christ, and you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that's your testimony, you already have eternal life. You're not hoping to gain it at the end, you have it now. And if that's not your experience, and if that's not your testimony, then you have no hope or chance of knowing and enjoying eternal life. Because for those that don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no chance of receiving eternal life. Because there's only one ground whereby eternal life can be bestowed, and that is in Christ. So you've got to be in Christ to have eternal life. That's what I mean about the fact of eternal life. Now go back to our text, and I want you to think of this. I want you to think of the features of eternal life. What does eternal life mean? He that believeth hath everlasting life. What what does everlasting life mean? Well, life that goes on forever and ever. Life in heaven. That's right. But what does that mean really in a practical sense? Does it not include deliverance from the fear of death? Remember what we read over there in the book of Hebrews? In Hebrews chapter 2, it says this, For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took on him the nature of angels. Sorry, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Here's one of the reasons why the Lord Jesus came into the world. Here's one of the reasons for the incarnation. Here's one of the reasons why the Lord Jesus took a real flesh and blood body unto himself. Remember, he was 100% God, but 100% man. He was a true man, a real man. If we think of verse 16, for verily he took not in him the nature of angels. Think of that. Remember the angels that had sinned, rebelled against God. The angels that are now reserved and everlasting darkness for eternal punishment with the devil in hell. The Lord Jesus didn't lift one finger to save them or help them. The Lord Jesus didn't take in him the nature of an angel. Instead, he took on the seed of Abraham. Why? Well, here's the answer. That through death, that's his death on the cross, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So so he became a true and real man with a real flesh and blood body to die a real death, uh, the death of crucifixion on the tree, to, to, to make a blood atonement, a ransom for sinners, and, 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 and he did that, that he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Maybe you're here tonight and you have a fear of dying. The king of terrors, the terror of kings, you're timid, you're weak, you need grace. And you say, well, I'm not sure, Lord. Remember the psalmist, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Paul, he asked the question, 
in the book of Colossians or in, in Corinthians and uh, First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Remember, he he asked this uh, towards the end of the chapter. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, let's remember tonight that Christ lived. Christ lived a righteous life. He was obedient to the law of God. He, He fulfilled the law of God perfectly. Let's remember that Christ died an atoning death and shed his blood. Let's remember that Christ is risen and the doctrine of the resurrection, the the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is an integral part of the gospel. He arose and he lives now in the power of an endless life and Christ is coming and his coming is visible and powerful and glorious. And because of Christ, the Bible teaches precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Having eternal life means that we're delivered from a fear of death. And even though we're fearful maybe of dying, we can look to the Lord to give us grace and strength. Even in the valley of shadow, that fear is taken from us. Why? Because Christ is with us. He was born for us. He lived for us. He died for us. He's risen for us. He's coming for us. Here's also what it means. It means to delight in the redemption of our bodies. Do you know that Jesus, when he died on the cross, not only died to save our souls, but died to save our bodies? Turn over there to Romans chapter 8. Look with me at verse 23. It says, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. You think tonight of the dead in Christ. You know, when a person dies, the soul and spirit goes into the immediate presence of the Lord. Their bodies put into the ground. We bury them in the sure and certain hope of a resurrection unto eternal life. But putting their body into the ground isn't the end of that body because Christ died to redeem that body. See, Christ died to save the whole man, body, soul, and spirit. And the body, of course, is not left to to rot and and, and corrupt completely. Because when Jesus returns, when the trumpet sounds, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13 to 18, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Could you think of that? The dead in Christ from the beginning of time, thousands of years before Christ came, uh, a thousand, two thousand years ago, those that were martyred. You think of those that have been dead a thousand years. You think of those that have been buried at sea. I said reverently, even the, the bodies that have been eaten by the fish and, and, and the bodies that have been scattered by the wind because they were burnt with fire. Do you know what the Lord Jesus is going to do when he comes back? He's going to raise the body of everyone in Christ. And he's going to raise them from that state of death. And his resurrection guarantees our resurrection. And his resurrection guarantees the resurrection of every true believer in Christ. The Bible says, blessed is he that has a part in the first resurrection. The first resurrection implies a second. There's a resurrection unto glory. Everlasting life. And part of that everlasting life is the redemption of our bodies. And there's a resurrection on the gloom. 
and eternal damnation when he'd say to the wicked, Depart from me, ye cursed, ye workers of iniquity, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Which resurrection will you have a part of? And, and part of eternal life is being delivered into his heavenly kingdom. You turn over there tonight to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, we read the words there in chapter 3, verse 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. Here's Paul at the end of his life. He's in prison. He's writing now the second time to Timothy. Paul's life's been full of trials. Paul's but a heartbeat from death. Life full of problems, pressures, perils, difficulties, perplexing things that you and I can't understand. And yet Paul in prison for the gospel, for the Lord Jesus Christ, facing death, he's not talking of death. He says, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. And if you're in Christ tonight, no matter what trials you face, no matter what difficulties you encounter, yes, we know that your life is hard. Uh, yes, we, we know that we all face hardship and the circumstances of the day. But what you think of these words and hope of eternal life. And what does that mean? It means one day preserved, delivered unto his heavenly kingdom. Surely there was no one suffered as much as Job did. You think of the sufferings of Job in the Bible. And yet what do we read about Job? In Job um, chapter 19, remember he, he, he talked about uh, uh, my Redeemer. And we were thinking about my Redeemer a little while ago in the service. Job said this, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. I'll tell you something else about eternal life. There's delight in the full revelation of the sons of God. Remember that last reference I've told you out of 133? Remember what it says? And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he impure. And here's the old Puritan. And this is what he said. Preaching in heaven. I'm going to be surprised who is actually there. He says, I'm also going to be surprised who is not there. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name done wonderful works and in thy name have cast out demons and then will I say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he added this, I'm going to be surprised yet glad that I'm there. You see, I want you to think of heaven tonight. I want you to think of entering in and you've been delivered from fear of death. And you, you anticipate the redemption of your body. And you're entering into a heavenly kingdom. And you're entering into the full revelation of the fact that you're a child of God. And this is beyond the rule book. 
of the church. This is beyond the membership list. This is beyond man-made rules and regulations. I have to say I hate man-made rules and regulations. They're, they're only mandatory things. You can't add anything to the new birth. What do we need to get into heaven? You must be born again. In Christ. Can you add anything to being in Christ? There shouldn't be anything added to the new birth. Here's a place where you're finally free from the power and pollution of sin. Free from the failures of the flesh. Free from every sin and shortcoming. Free from all that hinders me from loving Christ with a pure heart. Free to enjoy the, the, the blessing and bliss of glory. Free to uh, praise the Lord. Free to worship and serve the Lord with a perfect heart. All that's involved. In these words, eternal life. Very quickly, and our time is going, the foundation of eternal life. You see, this hope is not a vain, empty hope. It's not mere wishful, forlorn thinking. It's founded in a very powerful truth. Notice the words in our text. If you go back to Titus, it says in um, uh, Titus there, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. You see, the believer's hope, this sure and certain day of eternal life, rests on the foundation and the personal work of Christ. Christ was born for sinners. Christ lived for sinners. Christ died for sinners. Christ rose again for sinners. Christ is coming for sinners. And it's important that you grasp that. For all that is integral to the gospel. The gospel is not just the fact that Christ has died. That's important. But, but it's that he was born and lived and died and rose again. And is coming back for sinners. You think tonight of Paul's words in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 6. Let me just read them to you. I, I not take time to explain them. Hebrews chapter 6. And we read there in the verse um, 19. A, a, a tremendous truth. He says which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You, you think of Christ tonight in heaven, a Savior who's born for us, who lives for us, who's rose again for us, who, who's died for us, who's coming for us. Do you know what he's doing at this minute? He's interceding for us. He's our high priest. He, he carries our burden on his heart. He carries our burdens on his shoulders. He's exercising a ministry before God for all of us. He's there for our cause, our benefit. He's there for our help. He's seated at the right hand of God for us. He's the forerunner. And he guarantees the arrival of the rest. You think of the afterrunners. If the forerunners are already gone in and exercising a ministry for us, then the afterrunners, their arrival is all safely guaranteed. And that's the anchor of the soul that we've been singing about. Every ship needs a captain. Every ship needs an anchor. And the Lord Jesus is the captain of the gospel ship. And he's the anchor. And that's wonderful news. And the ship's out at sea. And the raging tempest. Well, at least it's got the captain in charge. It's got the anchor. And, and you know, whenever the individual Christian loses their job. And, and they lose their health or, or maybe their wealth. 
And, and they lose their family to sin. And their family has no interest in the things of God. And they maybe lose their way a bit because life's a struggle and hard and difficulty. And maybe they make a wrong choice. Let's remember this. Ultimate reality. That eternal life rests on the foundation of Christ's great saving work. Hope rests in this foundation. That he who made the promise cannot lie. When was the promise made? Before the world began. Before creation. It wasn't made with Adam. It wasn't made with the angels. It was made with Christ. God's eternal son. The one appointed in the great covenant of redemption. The one who stands as the head of a redeemed people. And God is not a liar. Because God cannot lie to his own son. Therefore the promise is guaranteed. It's sure and certain. It's based on the eternal covenant. The character of God. Think of the faith of eternal life. Hope and faith are linked together. Where you have one, you have the other. It's according to the faith of God's elect. What is faith? For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness. By faith. What is faith? It's a gift of God. Forsaking all, I trust him. I take him. If you're in Christ... You're in Christ because you have faith in Christ. And when you're in Christ, you've got hope in Christ. Because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. It's nothing to do with your feelings. It's not feeling your way into this experience of hope. It's not that you say, I'm feeling saved, or I feel I've got eternal life, or I feel I've got a sure hope. The biblical way to enjoy and experience this hope is only by faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Have you faith in Christ tonight? I want you to think also of the fruit of the, the eternal life. Notice the evidence here, which is after godliness. If any man be in Christ, is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new and all things are of God. You see, a real, true, living faith produces a life of godliness. We're to exercise ourselves unto God. We're not saved by godly living. But once you're in Christ, you experience a basic level of godliness. There's a practical godliness. There's a desire for godliness and for holiness. And that's the evidence. It's not the ground, but, but a genuine and real evidence that you're in Christ. Remember the cursing of the barren fig tree? Why did Christ curse it? Because he lost his temper? Because he had a spite against the tree? No. Here's why. That fig tree had leaves. And the leaves professed that there was fruit in the tree because before the figs would come, there's leaves. And because there was no fruit below the leaves, Christ cursed that tree. Christians are not perfect. We're not sinless. We grieve and mourn our sins and hate our failures. We're imperfect. We, we strive to purify ourselves. But a false professor is different. Here's the fruit of eternal life. There's evidence of a godly life behind it. And think of the focus as we close. The only people who have a right to such hope are those in Christ. Many tonight are not saved. Maybe you're among them. Many tonight are not in Christ. Many tonight are living in sin. They're living for the devil and they've got their face to hell and their portion is really to embrace eternal damnation and 
The sad thing is that they're playing the fool with their mortal soul. The Bible says they're without God and without Christ and without hope. Many sorrow with no hope. Many have problems and difficulties with no hope. But I want you to know tonight that if you're in Christ, God has an expectant end for every true believer. And that end is sure and certain and guaranteed. And here's the focus. Psalm 23 and 6. What did the psalmist say? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, he was sure and certain of going to the Father's house. Because he knew he possessed eternal life. I trust tonight that you'll understand better these words and hope of eternal life. I trust and pray the Lord will apply his word in a saving way to all our hearts this evening.